Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I am the last guy in the world that you want to fuck with. Now that is an impossibly cool quote from an impossibly cool character played by a never better James Kahn in one of my favourite movies of all time, Thief which is my choice for this fortnight. Now, Dan, without spoilers, because this is a relatively underseen film, why don't you tell the precious Arrowheads all about the plot of Thief? Uh, Yeah, okay. So in what, in my opinion, is Michael Mann's best film, James Caan plays a uh, fantastically adept thief who has uh, works for himself. He's got a very specific set of rules that he doesn't break, which he learned in prison uh, and then has applied to his life on the outside. And he makes some choices in Thief that cause him to compromise those, both personally and professionally, and they lead him into a sticky situation in the sort of grim, neo-noir space that man presents him with yeah that's that's uh fantastic yeah now uh, you you believe it's michael mann's best film uh how do you feel about michael mann as a whole i'm not a massive fan of michael right (laughs) i kind of (laughs) Um, i thought that was the unspoken subtext of what you were saying although what i would say is i think i have a better appreciation of what it is that i do like about michael mann because of the extras from this film. Oh, okay. Like, it, he's not a director I've really dug deep into the methodology of before. I've I've watched his films, I've taken them at relatively face value, and I've just kind of decided they're not necessarily for me. That said, I think the things that he cares about are great in this film, and I think that perhaps the things he doesn't prioritise as much are the things that leave me cold. So it's less a case of me not thinking he's doing a good job and more a case of me caring about things that he doesn't care about, perhaps. Okay, that's interesting. So what kind of things do you care about that he doesn't? So he does this thing, and it's been in all of his... It's in. I've not seen all of his films, but it's been in all of the films of his that I've seen, where he he likes to present uh, a sort of a very real dialogue space where like people cut across each other and the way in which people speak is very well thought out. Um, there's some lovely stuff he talks about with Thief about how uh, James Kahn is very efficient with his time and that leads to him never mumbling or contracting words because he wants to guarantee that he is clear in a way that he doesn't have to repeat himself because he as a character feels that he is making up for lost time because of the time he spent in prison he is incredibly like everything has to be you do it once and you just fucking get it over and done with because we've only got limited time and I've already wasted loads that said I've always found Michael Mann's dialogue infuriating. Okay. Um, he The way he mixes sound, because he goes, oh, you know, it's real-worldy. He has really high ambient noise. His score's often very loud. It's often actually quite hard for me to make out what some of the characters are are saying and i think it was in heat that i first did this i I put the subtitles on so that i could hear what people were saying and when you read the dialogue when you get every single line of it you're like well this is fucking silly oh dan well yeah i don't really have too much to comment on that because i i kind of i'm 
at the opposite end of the scale. But that's interesting because you don't like Christopher Nolan either, do you? And uh, people complain, have very similar complaints about Christopher Nolan, both in terms of the ease of hearing the dialogue and how ridiculous some of it is. And, you know, the sound mix and all that kind of stuff. Weirdly, I mean, I don't... I think I probably have more fun watching Nolan's stuff. I think Mann is probably a a more adept director of actors. Mm. I don't know, it's weird. Like, for example, there's, like, three different characters call other people your goof in this film, which just felt, like, slightly peculiar because it, like, it didn't necessarily feel seated in the reality that i was being presented with and i just put it down to oh you know he pays all this attention to how like how khan's character is going to speak like the structure of his language but the actual words aren't as important and so there's not this variation among characters they all kind of speak with man's voice but then on another one of the things another one of the interviews he was talking about how he doesn't like excessive like vulgarity and foul language and he really has to be kind of convinced to include it in the in the films in his films because it's like it's vital for that character you know for a character to speak that way and again it does feel like it's his predilections taking the fore rather than a sort of a, a critical force as to how these characters would the words they would choose yeah that's interesting i mean i kind of there's a couple of points related to that one is obviously you would have learned from the disc about his documentary background and how he yes. started out. And so that carries over into it's this combination of this really extreme, beautiful visual style. And obviously the music is very stylish and stylized. Yes. And um, actually the, the soundtrack by Tangerine Dream to me is absolutely astonishing. It's one of That's my fantastic. all-time favorite scores. It will baffle me until I stagger into my grave that this film was nominated for a Razzie for worst musical score. Like it is seriously, yeah, it's it that that's a fact, and it's beyond idiocy and and proof positive that some of the greatest art in the world isn't immediately understood um, with kind of the unique nature of its greatness pushing people away because presumably people when this was released were like, you know, what the fuck is this? Because it's so overpowering, but. It's incredible. I, I love it so much. But yeah, just to go back to that documentary point and the, you know, uh, the resistance to vulgar language. What's really interesting to me is that um, Michael Mann and John Cassavetes aren't often put together side by side because Cassavetes is such a naturalist and, and Michael Mann is such a stylist. But Cassavetes has kind of a, a resistance to vulgarity as well. And he sees it as he basically hates sex and violence in films. He absolutely <laughs> hates both. Like he, he doesn't see any reason for a, a violent scene in a movie. And even in The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which is probably the, the closest correlation that you can get between the two directors he had to be really convinced that the Chinese bookie should be killed and, you know, was insistent that there was no more shooting after that and that he'd kind of... <laughs> yeah, it is interesting that these kind of very documentary-influenced filmmakers, you know, like Cassavetes shot his fiction like documentary and hours and hours and reels and reels of footage to, to get his movies and s- such a long time spent in the edit suite. 
it's interesting that they're both resistant to these kind of real world things because you're right you know th- these characters would swear as as tarantino uh uh has discovered and they do in occasion they like they say some horrible things yeah and, and and he defends those things as being realistic and he's right to you know that's how these characters would speak mm. it's interesting one of the things that struck me for the first time on this watch was how it kind of acts almost as a counterpoint to the sort of procedural cop thrillers of the 70s things like the seven ups uh, french connection obviously badge whatever it is what's the the one with the uh, badge 373 yep. the ones that sonny grosso and eddie egan were all over mm. Because in 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 Thief, uh, Man was collaborating with and talking to a lot of professional criminals for the like you know to get the reality of his depiction of the world. Whereas you go back into the stuff like French Connection and all that stuff's being led by these ex cops who are painting a portrait of the world. So it's interesting to to sort of put those next to each other and and think of them as this is how one side of the argument wants things depicted. Well, what I love about Faith is that it's one of the rare examples of both sides being presented because obviously he cast cops as criminals and criminals as cops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got Dennis Farina's first appearance in a movie. He was a Chicago cop at the time. And obviously he plays kind of a henchman in this. And, and yeah, that kind of miasma of, of films based on criminals' lives and cops' lives you know, Pacino almost played the the main character in Thief, and yeah, he's in one of the greatest cop um, inspired by real life cop movies ever made in Serpico. But yeah, one of the things that I really love about Thief, and this is something that I learned from this disc actually, from the Arrow disc. There is an amazing audio essay on this disc, and I learned that Michael Mann almost made Straight Time, which is a film that I've shown you, Dan. It's one of my yeah, favourite yeah, movies yeah. ever. It's in my top ten. So, yeah, he came really close to making Straight Time, which is obviously inspired by Eddie Bunker's experiences in prison. And he wrote Thief and Heat when he couldn't do Straight Time. So he, he wrote them both at the same time, which kind of makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of crossover between those two films and maybe I'll get into that in my recommendations. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the essay is an absolute treasure trove of information. It's it's over an hour long and just, yeah, a, a really, really amazing extra on this disc. But yeah, it's um, it, it does have that kind of heightened realism, stylish realism. It kind of reminds me of an Elmore Leonard book actually Um, yeah I can see that and yeah there's just so many amazing kind of Elmore Leonard style scenes which a lot of people will kind of recognize maybe more if you say they're Tarantino-esque because you know one's very similar to the other Um, but yeah I'm thinking especially of the scene where he kind of confesses his profession in the car to Tuesday World that whole scene is just ah, oh. and the diner scene as well. His monologue in the diner—it's just so beautiful, and and yeah, the scene at the adoption agency is another kind of favourite of mine. And again, not getting spoilers, but that sequence kind of gets into some class stuff. And yeah, I th- I think that's where it gets the most interesting. Yeah, 100%. is that kind of stuff because the thing is. Khan's character is not a likable character. He's an anti-hero in every sense. You know, we're we're meant to be rooting for him, but he's a he's a pretty nasty 
person and some of the and and some of it is you know of an age but there's some pretty nasty stuff in that scene there's some like some language he uses um he's fucking horrible to tuesday at the beginning but obviously you know she gets together with him anyway which you could argue is because of a male writer rather than (laughs) the character's agency but but I, yeah, it's interesting because I find the structure of the narrative is is exceptionally good. Like, it's really well put together. And so while I don't necessarily want to be spending time with this character, I can see that, you know, other than the superficially, like, cool dialogue that he and, and some other people get, I, I think that actually it's an incredibly well put together uh, examination of the wrong choices made because of... Uh, how people view themselves within society. So, as a as a character who's come out of jail, he feels like you know he went in when he was really young. He's lost all this time to being in prison, which is which is interesting. I'm sidelining myself, sidetracking myself heavily. Um, I watched something. I can't even remember what it was. I was trying to remember earlier today. I watched something uh, earlier in the week. I think probably a noir, where a couple of characters were like talking about how they they were like they hadn't got. They'd lost time. They were older than the other people they were like interacting with in society. And I couldn't work out what it was. And I realized that because it was made just after the Second World War, these characters had had lost their sort of like youth period to service. And again, there's this kind of like making up for lost time feeling there, which I think is really good. But and a, this is vague spoiler territory. So if you want to avoid anything that's close to spoilers, jump ahead 60 seconds. But the old, uh, like, the four resolutions of narrative structure, where you've got the want and the need fighting against one another, it's, he very much thinks he gets rid of his want to satisfy his need. And the ending of the film is quite ambiguous, but it's very much to me that he has mistakenly gotten rid of his need to satisfy his want. He has mistaken them. And it's rare that you have that kind of mistaken... Uh, self-awareness normally people are either aware or they're not they don't get it wrong like that see i i mean there's so much i disagree with (laughs) in in, in (laughs) what you've been saying (laughs) and i know that our listeners enjoy it when we kind of disagree but yeah just to start the kind of um what you're saying about the adoption agency scene i think that there's layers to the stuff that he's saying in that scene i think there's a f- offensive language used by kind of um today's standards for sure but i think what he's talking about in that sequence is he's an underclass and they're an underclass too the kind of the the, the oh yeah do, do you see what i mean and, and yeah no i completely get that I, I totally get that and i agree like i and like and, I said, and, and just time. to be clear he's not rejecting them like he's not saying i don't want that thing He's saying, give me that thing. And I think that there's kind of a connection there. And in terms of the Tuesday World stuff, I think that the conversation in the car is such a massive turning point. I actually think her guard is up by the way he's behaved. Like she's very, she's fighting back. You know, when he asks her, you know, what do you think I do? She kind of fights back against him. But he abducts her at the beginning of that scene. No, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So she's, she's, it, I don't think it's a flaw in her character that they kind of go on the journey that they go on. I think that that scene is a massive turning point. And I think 
the way James Khan acts it and the way he kind of it goes through kind of levels his performance in that scene where he kind of turns and changes his approach and he opens himself up a little bit and you know the aggression kind of goes away and we find out stuff about her character which would explain why she'd be drawn to him even in a kind of aggressive way because of her kind of background i think it's lovely character stuff i don't think it's a kind of weakness of character i think it's um you know this isn't a film that has a lot of roles for women and you know what it kind of where it goes and where it ends up again i think there's reasons for what he's doing but i don't really want to get into the third act stuff but yeah i just think that if you took all this stuff at face value then um then yeah i could see why you have those kind of complaints but i actually think this is a relatively complex and and actually a very intelligent kind of thriller um crime thriller and you know as as you know i'm from a working class background myself like i grew up on a council estate in barking um so that adoption agency scene i find it very very emotionally powerful um because ultimately there's a whole undercurrent of class motivation slash aspiration in thief and i think the more tuned into that stuff you are kind of the more you'll see it you know they'll they'll fuck you in the end dan (laughs) yeah to to quote uh one of my recommendations from this week it's never over for men like us yeah there you go beautiful (laughs) beautiful exactly um and so yeah i really really love the kind of class struggle in this um but even though one of the kind of not criticisms but one kind of trope that sometimes works sometimes it doesn't when you're dealing with kind of working class issues a lot of those kinds of films are really kind of grimy and dirty and you know and i'm not criticizing those films like i love mike lee stuff like i love downtime and i love nil by mouth um the gary oldman movie i think nil by mouth is one of the greatest films ever ever made it's fucking incredible what i love about thief is it deals with those themes and those issues in the most beautifully shot stylish super cool aspirational way do you know what i mean well yeah absolutely and i think you know the documentary background for man and before he was even working in film his photography hobbies as youth yeah he talks about you know going out and photographing bridges against dawn and Mm. that kind of stuff like you can see that in the way he structured it yes you know the fact that he avoids uh, getting rooftops in shot you know unless they're on a roof yeah um so that you can believe that night is like this lid on the city so they're always trapped they're always stuck in this space like there's obviously a vast amount of thought and a vast amount of skill that goes into it and that's kind of what i meant earlier when i said that i think that this has this rewatch and particularly these this dive into the extras mm. um, has given me another level of appreciation for this to the extent that I'm considering going back and, and revisiting some of his other films mm. because there is obviously a, a level of an in, intent and thought that perhaps wasn't superficially obvious to me in previous watches. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's interesting that you talk about his photography background because, you know, the, the cinematography is, is really stunning here. Like, I love the way they use shallow depth of field combining with the kind of city lights to create really painterly effects. I mean, we've all seen shallow depth of field 
a million times in films it's like you know the kind of basic thing you need to do to make something what people mean by cinematic exactly yeah (laughs) it literally is but it's used in a unique way here like the the scene where um you know they meet to hand the money over and you've got that beautiful wide of, of the city but there's that really weird shot where you know the the, the bad guy he, he looks like a demon like the way his face is lit and the way the lights behind him i i don't know it's just it it looks like an actual painting as opposed to your run of the mill shallow depth of field um yeah absolutely and i think his photography background will will have definitely played into that yeah well he talks about the fact that uh american cinema was still kind of considering the director's job just being dealing with the actors and that often the cinematographer would be the one to choose the the shots whereas he sort of wanted to approach that the more european way yeah. as it were and thorin the the cinematographer on this it was his first feature Wow. You know, he 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 took someone who'd never shot a film, a feature film before, and gave them this amazing opportunity. So, but I think you can read between the lines there and and say, well, yeah, he's very very much choosing the shots, like like m- more so than perhaps even now a traditional relationship between a cinematographer and a director, because he's got a photography background, because he has made a statement about wanting to transition from the American way to the European way, and because he gets himself a, a, a very green cinematographer, albeit one who would go on to have a a, uh, like quite a long career a varied career i think that all of the things that you like about the 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 visuals very much land at man's feet yeah uh absolutely you can just you can see a signature um and yeah how do you feel about that because i've never actually worked with a, a cinematographer in a way like obviously frankenstein's creature it was the a, a camera operator had kind of stepped up to be the cinematographer I, I'm I'm really proud of what we got and and you know of how that film looks and stuff, but it was definitely a, a collaboration and um, on a little more flesh. Obviously, I shot that myself, and so I've never worked with an actual cinematographer, cinematographer, and I've always wanted to because what they bring to 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 the art of the film is just so substantive. Well, I think what you've managed to do is you've found aesthetics that work within the confines of what you have available. Yes. So you've... Classic you know, DIY filmmaking, basically. Well, exactly. And and the thing is, if you wanted to do a beautiful, like, sort of ode to a city, mm. and, and, and this is to some extent uh, like a, a sort of city symphony movie. Yes, yes. You know, I, I I think that unless you have that photography background that man had, yeah. you're definitely going to need someone else to come in and work out where to put the lights and, you know, what lens to use and all that kind of stuff. Because that is a very specific set of skills. Mm. And nowadays, a lot of directors, especially on bigger things, they have that. They know, you know, the difference between focal depth, depth and f-stops and, and all, the, all the technical side. But unless you've been trained in that, it's you know you do need someone else to come in and do that for you this is so it. yeah i mean and, and there there's people across the across the whole spectrum directing and that's it and that actually maybe this is a good opportunity to say to to people listening who do have ambitions to direct and maybe haven't because they're like oh well i need a, a cinematographer and all that kind of stuff yes you do if you want to make a film that looks like thief but with a little more flesh like 
I shot it on my phone, like a iPhone XR, and I used the same lenses that Steven Soderbergh used on Unsane, um, so moment lenses, which aren't very expensive. And I used an 18 mil uh, lens for the the majority of a little more flash, um, changing it out not not very often. And yeah, I just taught myself on YouTube. I taught myself how to light the scene. I taught myself, you know, what was the best light to get in the first place to light the scene. And all told, uh, the budget of that film was three grand. And that's... Um, you shouldn't You shouldn't say, You should admit that. You need to say it's more so that <laughs> when you come to sell it again, you can be like, well, you've got to give me more than that. No, I... It costs I, I, cost X. I think it's kind of important because, um, like, I, there's been a lot of, I don't know, back and forth on Twitter about, you know, saying that you can shoot a film on your phone is elitist and, you know, all the rest of it. But it's not like you you can honestly shoot a film on on your phone and it'll look really nice. Like I've had lovely reviews that have praised the look of the film. Even Kim Newman said that it looked like the the seven it had the 70s look that I was going for. So, yeah, you really can shoot a film on your phone it might not look like thief which is for my money one of the most beautiful debuts ever but you can still do it yeah it could look like night fishing yeah there you go yeah so or it could the first iphone feature yes or or um or or tangerine or you know yeah you know which looks great and and was shot with relatively simple lenses but i mean yeah it, it it is i guess still to some extent a little elitist given how much the 4k phones cost but uh, but it is astonishing how far the democratization of film tech has come i absolutely but everything kind of in context because you, you look at the cost of a iphone xr compared to the cost of a, a red camera or whatever it is or an alexa or an alexa or, yeah, exactly. god exactly you know so it, it's within reach you, you can you can save up you can crowdfund you know, it's cheaper to to make films now than it was when Kevin Smith made Clerks, for example. Yeah, you know, much cheaper. So I don't know why we went off on a, a side track uh, along the DIY cinema route. I don't think anyone's going to be listening to this episode expecting to hear this stuff. But um, <laughs> you know, yeah, let's get back on track and talk a little bit about some of the other extras on this disc. There's a great commentary on this disc, isn't there, Dan? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's fantastic. And and one of the things that I like about this, and there are loads I mean, I like commentaries, you like commentaries, Sam, we like commentaries, <laughs> but there are different ways in which we like commentaries, different types. And and one of the things I like about this is it's a revisit between two people who very obviously have a friendship. Exactly. It's one um, of those it's like Carpenter and Kurt Russell on the thing or, or whatever, you know, not not quite yeah. to that same level of camaraderie, but they rib each other and yeah. And because it's our, because it's a because it's archival as well. I didn't realize until the last sort of like 5 10 minutes of the commentary that it was recorded just before Man Shot Heat. Yeah. So it's very much like his star is rising. Yeah. And yeah, that it's kind of essentially as you say like a conversation between these two guys and they're discussing the shoot and the themes of the movie and they refer to what's on screen and kind of use that as a jumping off point for memories and anecdotes and pieces of trivia um i will say there are some quiet moments when they watch yeah the film. they do occasionally get lost in the film yeah. which is nice you know like i think it's okay because it's normally the more 
interesting bits anyway so yeah it's kind of it's quite sweet in a way like yeah they go quite quiet during the car scene that we talked about and stuff um but yeah when they do talk it is always worth listening to and yeah there's a, a lovely new interview with james khan conducted by friend of the podcast heather buckley and you know that's great fantastic archival episode of a french tv series focusing on the actor which was made shortly after Thief was released. So there's some really nice stuff and kind of fresh stuff about Thief in there too. Yeah, it's just a really, really great kind of Criterion collection level release by Arrow Video. <laughs> um, Again, and actually much, much more packed than the Criterion edition yeah, as well. It, exactly. So yeah, if, Raising if, you only, the bar. if you only get one, get get this. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's pretty much all I've got to say. Oh, actually, no, we haven't we haven't mentioned James Kahn at all. We we did a big old waffle about how to make a DIY film, but haven't talked about the man who leads this film and kind of considers it as one of his greatest performances. In, in fact, the the diner monologue, I think he, he he believes that's the finest he's ever been. I would caveat that misery would like to say something in this conversation but um yeah he really is magnificent in this film how do you feel about his performance i think he's fantastic he's really good like i think so he's like how old was he when he shot this he says he's in his 30s yeah um which i guess is probably about right but he'd already got quite a solid career behind him Mm. by this point he's he's not the sort of like he's not as young and and like sort of fresh faced, like you know, mid thirties by Hollywood star standards is, I guess, a little older. And actually, there's a, a great bit on the commentary where they're talking about the scene on the beach, yeah, <laughs> talking about Khan and Belushi's bodies, and I'm being like, oh, everyone looks like a male model now. This is realistic. I like this. And Khan's like, thank you for not filming my thin legs, <laughs> <laughs> my my weird thin legs. But yeah, but I think he's on the cusp of that thing that happens with good character actors when they mo- they get a little bit older and it's more about, and, and uh, you know, this is very much a privilege of the male character actor, but they get a little bit older and they start to sort of inherit this societal gravitas. There's a seriousness, there's a not fuck with ability to Khan that he, his sort of his young charisma has turned into this sort of like slightly prickly version and he carries the character so well because of that yeah and i love the kind of the the difference that so when he's being really cool and 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 you know when he's in a kind of situation that's quite stressful he kind of shuts down and you can see the light kind of go out of his eyes but when he's kind of more relaxed he kind of uses his head movements almost like punctuation points. It's something I haven't really seen him do before or since, not not to this degree. And it's it's like in the diner scene, it's like he's fucking dancing. Like the way he kind of uses those movements to to emphasize or put power behind what he's saying. And yeah, it really made me connect with him so much for some reason. Um yeah, he's like this kind of it's like he's given it's like he's on stage. And he needs to kind of reach like the back of the room or something like feel Shakespearean to me. Yeah, I love him so much. And and what a film this is. If you haven't seen it, we've done our best to dance around um, spoilers and stuff. Please, please do pick up this this disc because, yeah, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast will love this film. 
before we get into recommendations, Sam, yes. can I ask you how many of your recommendations are James Kahn films? They are approximately zero, so you're all good. So, oh no, no, I I have literally just thought of one that I'm sad I haven't included. So I'm going to just throw out Lady in a Cage, which is kind of one of his first roles or first like featured roles, and he's so fucking good in it. I'd completely forgotten about it until just now. Right. <laughs> it's such an amazing film. In, in that case, before we get on to recommendations, after you've just done a recommendation, I am also going to throw in a recommendation before the recommendations because yeah, go, neither of mine are really very obscure. So I'd like to mention Freebie and the Bean from 1974. Oh, um, James Kahn plays Freebie, who alongside his partner, Alan Arkins Bean, is one of the most irresponsible and destructive cops in San Francisco. It's basically kind of a proto-body cop film and was probably responsible for a lot of similar movies in the 80s. So shall we get on to recommendations based on the film? You 100% had that written down. That did not feel off the top of your head. No, that was totally off the top of my head. (laughs) Fair enough. Is is it just the way I speak now? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you sounded... It sounded rehearsed. I mean, I am quite tired, but um, but yeah. Um, All right, let's let's get into recommendations based on the film. I just went last in the recommendations based on the film before the recommendations based on the film. So, Dan, why don't you go first on the recommendations based on the film? Well, it's written down as my second recommendation, but I'm going to go with it first because I quoted it earlier. Uh, It's from 1992. It's by Kinji Fukusaku. It's called Triple Cross, uh, a.k.a. Someday Into the Glare. Or if you're in Germany, I found out today, Double Cross. Nice. (laughs) Um, Triple Cross has a lot of similarities to Thief. It's a very different film. I don't know if they're conscious, the similarities. It feels... Like it has, uh, it has scenes in it that feel like they could have been lifted, like that they were written based on a description of Thief. Like someone saw Thief and went and explained it to the writer of Triple Cross. Uh, There's an amazing scene where a guy turns up at the office of a a small-time mobster and is like, you've got my money, it's mine because the person you got it from stole it from me. So I need that back. And they're like, we haven't got it. And he's like, well, I'm going to... And he pulls a gun and he waves it about. And, you know, and he's like, well, you, you have to give it back to me tomorrow or I'm going to fucking kill everyone. <laughs> like, there's a lot of direct similarities, but it's that sort of Fukusaku, Yakuza, like madness. And it's also latter-day, better, it's better latter-day Fukusaku. Like his early stuff, much more sort of like pensive and thoughtful. This is much more bombastic and insane. It's got Sonny Chiba in it. It's got some lovely procedural stuff in it, like uh, the opening sequence, you see them all painting clear nail varnish over the tips of their fingers, so they don't need fingerprints while they're robbing banks. But for the most part, it's an excuse for like massive shootouts and car chases, uh, and it's got a great ending. Fantastic. Yep, great recommendation. I sort of back that one up. My first one is kind of similar in a way. It, it's basically, it's a film that I almost recommended for Crash, but I'm glad that I saved it for Feith because it's Walter Hill's The Driver from 1978. Now, they've got very different vibes, but The Driver's almost as cool as Feith and it kind of makes me wish in a way that they did these weird shared universe things um, in the 70s and 80s because I would have loved to have seen Feith's Frank team up with uh, the unnamed driver from... 
um, at the driver. But anyway, uh, if you mash together these two films, you would get uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. And I'm sure there are more people out there who have seen Drive than have seen either of these films that directly inspired that film. The Drive is about an unnamed getaway driver. Uh, None of the characters have proper names. And he is being pursued by an obsessive cop played by Bruce Dern. Um, But what it's really about is a bunch of incredible car chase set pieces, uh, mostly shot at night, mostly in the city. And yeah, if you put Thief on at 10 p.m. and the driver at midnight, you've got basically a perfect double bill. Um, Studio Canal have put it out in the UK, but it's a 20th Century Fox movie. So maybe pick up the Blu-ray before it goes out of print, because I don't see Disney particularly caring about the legacy of this film. But yeah, Walter Hill's The Driver. I recommend it. Yeah, it's a great film. Really great. I should say, Triple Cross, uh, out of print everywhere. You can get it in the UK for like 14 quid on Music Magpie. There you or go. 20 quid on eBay. But the fact that it's still commanding, you know, double pound figures uh, on DVD all these years later uh, means that it really ought to get uh, a Blu-ray, maybe, someone. My next recommendation is available for free on Prime, if you got that. It's called Grand Slam. It's from 1967. Uh, Giuliano Montaldo, uh, who you might know from the much heavier weight Sacco and Vanzetti, um, about the framing of uh, the Italian immigrants in America. Uh, historical movie, historical court case movie. Um, this is a, a very like technical crime movie whereas triple cross is about like guns blazing bank heists this is closer to thief in that it's about process and planning and knowing how to get into a safe knowing everything about the safe before you go in it's a little bit more of a romp Uh, just to go back to thief a little bit like a lot of the spectacle in thief because they're so like conscious of reality in it you know that all of the techniques they're using are real most of the tools they're using are real in in fact um um, certain scenes or or moments within scenes were cut because the police were worried that basically the film provided a guide in how to do this stuff um yeah absolutely and and just as man was uh a like convinced that it was very important for Khan to actually be able to do these techniques rather than to fake them with prop systems so that his confidence was realistic. Um, He even like had some surprises be realistic. So like in the first scene when Khan's getting into that vault, he didn't know that there was a second door inside the vault Mm -hmm. that he'd have to contend with. So his response to that's realistic. Um, And all the stuff with, you know, welders and and fire bars and all that stuff is all real. But, like i think you know this many years after that film we've seen a lot of that stuff before and so some of that lingering like sort of minutiae of that process because it's not the kind of james bond gadgetry and the the over the top like here's a cool thing to look at because it's real i think it 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 maybe doesn't hold my attention as much because it suffers from that sort of like true story syndrome whereas you know i when i watch a heist movie i want shaving foam inside an alarm Hmm. like i want like a cool thing (laughs) and grand slam is that like grand slam is an italian heist caper with loads of really cool uh, like getting around the systems, including uh, an amazing like body like body popping around lasers it's, sequence. It's ridiculous. Where the lasers are all just red string. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's a fun film. film for sure. <laughs> but it's yeah, but it's a romp. It's not yeah. like I think that's that's the thing is, I think in the past I had wanted Thief to be a heist movie, and it's not. It's a character study exactly. that has a, that has a heist in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, speaking of character studies, which involves heists, uh, Heat. Uh, I'm going to recommend Heat. I almost went to a kind of deeper Michael Mann cut with Miami Vice, the Colin Farrell, Jamie Foxx movie, which is <laughs> underseen and underrated, Dan. I love Miami Vice. It's fucking great. Um, but I couldn't not recommend Heat, especially as we will have listeners who haven't seen it. Dan, I'm going to break your heart here, but by recommending Heat, which was made in 1995... Um, by recommending that today, it is the equivalent of recommending a film from 1969 when Heat came out. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I apologise. I'm not entirely sure what reaction you want, so I don't know how to fake it. <laughs> um, fine. Just oh, You mean just because it was a long time ago? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Heat feels like it was released just yesterday to me. I mean, I was working as a cinema usher when it came out and I have progressed since then, but it certainly doesn't feel like the equivalent to 1995 recommending a film from 1969. But anyway, um, it's officially a classic movie. We can, we can say that. And so many of Thieves tropes turn up in heat. It was possibly even semi-inspired by a line of dialogue from Thief. And it actually feels like De Niro's doing a James Kahn in at times in in the film um as far as the plot's concerned hopefully you already know this but it basically features de niro as an ocd thief with a crew of uber cool criminals who are committing heists together but when a heist goes wrong after they bring the wrong dude along with them chaotic cop al pacino gets on their trail building to one of the greatest third acts in cinema history I love these characters. I love that they're kind of reflections of each other. Yeah, so there's just as much influence on The Dark Knight from Thief as Heat, even if Nolan doesn't talk about it. You know, everyone knows that The Dark Knight has the Heat influence, but there's so much um, from Thief in The Dark Knight as well. So if you like one film, uh, you'll love the other. So if you haven't seen Heat, see Heat. If you haven't seen Thief, see Thief. These films are kind of like brothers. I love them both. I thought you were going to recommend L.A. Takedown. No, I mean, you know, I, I'm surprised you've seen L.A. Takedown, Dan, if you're not a Michael Mann fan. but I'm not a Michael Mann fan, but I am a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting kind of first go, but I think more directors should um, should remake their own films. Um, I think that'd be quite interesting. I mean, Hitchcock, well, it's a, Hitchcock it's did a it, TV movie. Well, a lot, a lot of people who were working in the silent era did it. Yeah. Like a lot of silent stuff got remade as a talkie later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I definitely find those very interesting. Yeah. Did Hitchcock ever remake any talkies into talkies? Uh, yes, he did. What did he do? Oh, my God. The Man Who Knew Too Much, I believe. Did he? But Mike... I don't, I don't think I realised there were two versions of that. So yes, if you haven't seen The Man Who Knew Too Much, Precious Arrowhead, either version, yeah. check 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 out both. Right. I now Re- have to work out which version I've seen and watch the other one. <laughs> so one's from the 30s, so I, I think that's probably the one you haven't seen. But let's um let's revisit in a couple of weeks. Recommend to, I'm so Precious Arrowhead. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to think that I I have a, a, no, I'm not gonna say that. 
uh, because that might upset people. I was about to say, Mike, that I'm starting to think that I've had COVID because I'm so fucking exhausted, but I'm not going to say that on the actual thing. So how do I go into this, Dan? I've definitely seen the 1934 version because I remember Peter Laurie in it. Oh, okay. So it's the 50s one that you haven't Maybe seen. Maybe I've not seen the James Stewart. No, I've not seen it in colour. Oh, there you go. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching? Well, Sam, you'll be horrified to learn that uh, one of the films I'm recommending is to where we are now in 2021, the equivalent, (laughs) if I'd said it at the time of its release, of a film in 1841. Oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) Uh, After a conversation about musicals Uh uh, and and bearable musicals (laughs) uh, with some friends, I was inspired to dig into the pile of things I should watch. And I checked out the 1931 uh, George Wilhelm Pabst uh, adaptation of Thrupany Opera. Nice. The Brecht and Vile collaboration. I believe it's the first time it was committed to film mm-hmm. uh, in 31. It's not necessarily the best version of the songs you're ever going to hear. They're so uh, etched into sort of public consciousness that I think the film as a revisit in 2021 benefits hugely from how familiar I am with the music and it's uh like it's it's a very accomplished film it's what it's very interesting stylistically because it feels like it's on the tails of expressionism especially with the set builds and the design of the space it feels very much like um like it's sort of still got some of that German expressionist stuff in it. Mm. It's also got some amazing physical comedy in there. Like there's some really beautiful, like sort of prattful stuff, which again, like sort of pushes it back towards the silent era mm-hmm. and the stuff that came before as well. But if you, yeah, so if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the play and therefore the music, it may not be the best version to watch first. But if you, if you are familiar with the music, you'll absolutely love it. It's a, it's a, beautiful realization of it uh, and the fact that it's a, a german film from that era obviously helps to that fantastic that's, that's yeah. it yeah wonderful wonderful and surprising recommendation um coming from you that's great purely because you hate musicals so much um but this is the thing i'm not sure i do yeah i can't imagine why you would because yeah it, it, i love music yeah you love music you love kind of choreography to a certain yeah. extent and yeah there's so many great ones. Anyway, um, we'll, maybe we'll do a special episode on, on musicals next, not next time because we're doing JSA, but the time after that for Southland Tales because that has some musical elements to it. So um, maybe we'll, we'll get into it more then. But uh, before we do that, uh, my first recommendation based on the stuff I've watched over the past couple of weeks, Crime Wave. Now, this is Sam Raimi's first movie after Evil Dead, written by the Coen brothers, featuring Bruce Campbell in a supporting role as an absolute jackass. What is not to love? Uh, It's coming out uh, on Indicator on March the 22nd. And it is basically a live action cartoon complete with Looney Tunes music and set pieces. I love it so much. Um, It kind of frequently feels like Sam Raimi's been hired to make a trauma movie. Yeah, it's just got this really, really crazy, crazy atmosphere, and I also love it. So, yeah, the Indicator release includes an incredible commentary from Bruce Campbell. It (gasps) is worth the price of the disc alone. It's so fucking good. 
and he basically gives you a step-by-step guide to making a box office bomb which features all kinds of honest stories about the creation of the film there's quotes from bruce like i'm not sure why reed didn't work more after this probably because we destroyed his career yeah (laughs) and there's also a a fact filled commentary from arrow's very own james flower um which is interesting it's kind of more of an audio essay almost like an audio book actually because james kind of acts out what he's saying at times it's kind of like a performance it's kind of hard to describe but uh definitely worth a listen yeah it, it sounds a little bit like it's been recorded on a potato but it's worth persevering with the sound quality for the level of information that james gives you james flower is a a very clever man and so yeah it's a really interesting lesson yeah uh, but it's a pack set it's not just commentaries there's loads of interviews and the limited edition comes with a fantastic booklet i would advise pre-ordering this one as it will probably sell out quite quickly like i said it's out on march the 22nd and limited to three thousand copies I mean, as always with Indicator, they will do like a normal release at some point, but the booklet is really, really good. So it's worth getting one of the limiteds. Um, So yeah, Crime Wave on Indicator, March 22nd. I recommend it. Uh, Yeah, it's fantastic. There's a number of lines from that film that have fallen into my sort of personal lexicon. But the one that immediately springs to mind is in the hotel corridor when uh, they, they ask what kind of sick son of a bitch would kill a man in cold blood and then jelly up his face in shaving cream? And the little kid just goes, my dad! Yeah, and then the cut from, yeah, what comes immediately after that and then the next cut is basically one of the the best gags in the film. It's just... It's so good. It is really good. It's a a, a very underseen movie. Um, Even some Sam Raimi fans I know you know i talk evil dead 2 with them and then i'm like yeah but what about crime wave and they're like crime wave um so don't be one of those people watch crime wave it's good for you dan (laughs) what's what's next on your list uh i've just pre-ordered the (laughs) the special edition well sam i know that you obviously get a a lovely side bung for all your indicator uh recommendations Uh, so i hope i'm not treading on your feet by recommending an indicator title i do not get any just to make this clear (laughs) precious arrowhead right what i get for recommending these is advanced preview discs so i don't get like the the fancy finished beautiful versions that um i often actually just go on to buy anyway because who wants like a preview disc so that's literally all i get for for mentioning these and um yeah i do it because i love you because indicator the previews yeah they're, no, they they're do, up they do there some very, very with good arrow stuff. for me in terms of um, yeah. the quality so anyway dan what's your indicator disc well so i've been really enjoying the noir sets that they're putting out oh yeah I've, I've got number three on pre-order. Um, I was digging into number two recently, and I saw, for the first time, Murder by Contract. Oh, nice. Which, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a really amazing, super cheap, obviously a very much a B-picture. I mean, definitely a B-picture, as some of the uh, extras on the disc will attest. It's uh, about a, uh, a a guy who decides that he, he's got a dream home. There's not really a lot more like backstory to him he just wants to he realizes he's not making money fast enough in the real world so he's gonna be a hard killer he's never done it before but he reckons he's got a thing for it he's trained himself to not care about humans <laughs> so he's gonna be a good a good murderer so he uh, he volunteers we open with a sort of a the first bit of the movie is a montage essentially of him proving himself as a as a hired killer 
uh, and obviously this is Hayes era, so it's it's a little tame on the visuals. It's not a bloodbath, but mm. but it's it's got some quite surprising stuff in it. One of the things that's most surprising is this astonishing sort of like early electric guitar soundtrack that's just us like just beautiful. Uh, it was from 1958. It's directed by Irving Lerner. It was a huge influence on uh, Scorsese, and there's actually a really lovely introduction with him on the disc mm. talking about the film and and why it's so important to him. It's very peculiar. Like it was. You know, they didn't have a lot of money. A lot of the sequences are done against rear projection, like things that would have actually been quite cheap to shoot. They've just they've just done on rear projection because it was easier. And while it's not flawless in its structure, it's really, really solid. And I and I, one of the things I like about it so much is that it's quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of the stuff that's going on in the film is peculiar, like the decisions that people are making. And the, and also like some slightly weird like friendships that are born out of the characters as well that never supersede the professional relationship. But there's like a, oh, I'm sorry about having to kill you. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, I actually think that we've accidentally done quite a nice little double bill there. Like Crime Wave and Murder by Contract, I think, go really quite nicely together. Because obviously, Crime Wave has the rear projection and very yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. score. And I think on that indicator, um, the Noir Collection, they have uh, three Stooges shorts as well, don't they? Is yeah, that right? they do. Every every every, yeah, every film has a Three Stooges short. Yeah, it? and obviously Three Stooges, like they use Three Stooges sound effects in in Crime Wave. So yeah, I think that's a lovely accidental double bill. Um, nice one. I I. I second that recommendation and i'm not getting just, a bung for it i just credited someone as a fake shemp on a on something i'm i directed excellent i love it <laughs> um yeah my uh, final recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is leave her to heaven from 1945 now it's a relatively underseen classic i think i've been saying that quite a lot uh, this episode but have you seen leave her to heaven dan I don't think I have. Oh, man, you, you have to watch it. Um, I really, really recommend it to you and Jen, actually. I think it'll be a, a, a joint watch that you'll enjoy. Um, it won the Best Cinematography Oscar in 1946, but it also should have won for the insane script, which is an absolute masterclass in storytelling. It might be the most Freudian film I've ever seen, and I've seen the Montgomery Clift Freud movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just incredible as well as being kind of a psychological thriller it also frequently feels like a film noir with one scene that's one of the most disturbing horror moments i've ever experienced it's so chilling you'll know what it is when you see it and it's like something out of a Lars von Trier movie it's amazing so um i'm going to say literally nothing else about the plot because the way it unfolds is really part of the fun but just please trust me Leave Her to Heaven is a perfect, perfect movie. I, I very much recommend it. Nice. There we go. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features, extra features. No extra features. Extra features unless, no extra features. Unless Dan's got James Kahn on the line. Uh, no, no, he's, he's making a drink. I can't get him. <laughs> um, in that case, we're going to go straight into social media. Dan, how can people follow you? I'm at... 13 finger fx on both twitter and instagram i'm awaiting the results of a very exciting thing 
uh, which a lot of you, I think, probably helped me with with your votes. So we'll see. <laughs> see how I, mean, that goes. I mean, even if Dan, you did work against yourself by frequently saying, "Well, it's closed. It's closed now." <laughs> so don't go there. Don't don't go there. Well, but I I like I was thinking about this, and I wondered if people might think that that was like a conscious trick. Yeah. Because like I might miss out on a couple of days worth of votes. But then I'd also get that like, oh, it's my last opportunity. I won't put it off and then forget about it. Mm. That's not what I was doing. I just, um, crap. <laughs> Although I genuinely, like, I still maintain I read a thing that said it was like January 31st was the end. Oh, maybe day extended. The, the second time I made the mistake, that's on me. I was <laughs> being an idiot. <laughs> well, I've got a good feeling about it. So um, we will uh, update the arrowheads when you inevitably win that. Because I, I do feel like, you know... Even without the help of our, our beloved audience and, and friends, you were the best option on that list. So, um, so oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, let's hope for happy news in the next uh, few weeks or so. But uh, no social media from me, as if I could delete all of my social media, I would. Uh, I await that day with eager anticipation. But I'm going to recommend instead that you listen to Elf Lion's horror play, Gorgon, uh, on Bandcamp when it goes up on March the 15th. Um, it's influenced by everything from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Jalo movies. So I think if you're a fan of this podcast, you'll love it. And Elf starred in A Little More Flesh. Uh, so I'll always support her work. If you do follow me on Twitter at Sam Ashurst, then I'm sure I'll retweet the the actual link when it goes up. But you don't need to follow me to find out that stuff. Just either go and follow Elf Lions or or just keep an eye out on Bandcamp for Gorgon when it goes up on March the 15th. Right, that's it, unless there are any final words from Dan. Um, well, just because we're talking about audio stuff and I hadn't thought about it as a thing we could talk about, but uh, we can do I, anything it's our show yeah do whatever the fuck we want um uh a friend of the podcast james pierce he recommended a, a little horror series that's on bbc at the moment to me uh, and i'm absolutely loving it it's called the hotel and it's like 15 episodes and they're about 15 minutes each it's really good the first one kind of sets the space it's about a, like a you know sick land ill like a built an evil area and then as the as each one is a standalone story that is is associated with that space in some way haven't listened to all of them yet so there might be more crossovers but so far they're all just reaching back into the first episode each time written by someone called daisy johnson who i wasn't familiar with before but uh it's really really top quality like creepy horror Uh, a sense of unease in the audio that I've not heard for a long time. Really enjoying it. Fantastic. Uh, That sounds great. And for anyone who doesn't want to follow me on Twitter, and I I respect you greatly, you can follow Elf Lyons on Twitter. She is at E-L-F underscore L-Y-O-N-S. So if you are interested in the sound of Gorgon, then just follow her and that's the best place to find that stuff out. I I heard some scraping noises there, Dan. What's going on? James Khan's getting out. Ah, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> you finally let him. I don't know. Finally released him. All right. Well, um, on that slightly mad note, uh, we're gonna go into the my catchphrase. God, I'm so tired. I'm gonna do that again because that sounded rubbish. No, I like that. Right. Okay. Fine. <laughs> then we'll leave it. As but it but is. no, say what we're doing next week. You've mentioned it already. We're, yes. Uh, not next week. Next fortnight. We're doing JSA. Oh my goodness. Watch this film so that we can spoil it, please. 
Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not going to spoil it. No, I know we can't. <laughs> it's not seen enough. Um, but but I, it's so fucking good. It is, uh, honestly, it is such a magnificent film. Please, please, please buy it and watch it so, you know, you can... Um, no, we're not going to spoil it, so... But no. but just do anyway because it will make you happy and we want you to be happy. Uh, JSA will be our choice for next fortnight. It's one of Dan's choices, and then after that we're going to be doing Southland Tales, which is kind of a, a collaborative choice. Um, I'm excited about this. Yes, I'm. I'm very excited to because I like the episodes when we fight. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm. Uh, yeah. Let me just say now on the record, you're going to regret um saying that i can do that one but anyway we really are going to shut up now we're rambling thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next Next time time. it can't be worse all right (laughs) bye-bye bye